Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. Are we all rested with our extra hour of sleep? Yes, so we're ready to go. We're ready to get after it today, right? Come on now. I know you are. So today's a, today's a special day. Um, well, one, it's my, my daughter's 12th birthday. Karis is 12 today, so it's time for her to get a job and get after life. Uh, no, this really another special thing happening today is actually yesterday, five years ago yesterday, was uh, our very first what we called a core gathering for our church. Um, and five years ago, our very first gathering of people under the name of OKC Community Church happened uh, in a room with a bunch of metal chairs and a bunch of questions about what the heck was about to happen, right? And, uh, and, and it's just, it's really phenomenal that God has done so much over these years um, and it's that, that it's been that long and that it's also, feels like it's been forever, but it also feels like we just began. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all that God's doing. And uh, we officially do, just so you know, we celebrate our birthday um, on, the, on the first Sunday morning service. We, that wasn't a Sunday morning service. That was a Sunday afternoon meeting, so to speak. Our first Sunday morning service wasn't until March. So in March, We'll have our f- fifth birthday, so to speak, and we'll all go to Chuck E. Cheese or something, because I, I think that's what you do on fifth birthdays, if I remember right. Uh, anyway, for those of you, um, for those of you who have been with us uh, from day one, thank you so much. We're so, so grateful. And since day one, I feel like um, we've been trying to become the church, right? Capital C, we've been trying to grow and become uh, the church together, to not just go to church, but to be the church, to, to not just, uh, uh, you know, kind of play church, but to be the church the best way we know how, to bring life to our city by loving God and living the gospel. Those are some of the things we say. And, and so no matter if, if you've been with us five years or if you're, if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we, we hope and, and, and always pray that every person here would find a place of belonging that they would find a place of belonging to the community of God's people and that you would feel like you belong here because that's what we call it a home, that's what we call it a family. We feel like um, we want, first and foremost, for the people of God to know that we are in this together. We are in this thing called life together, but we're also in this big mission that God's called us to together. And, and man, we're just so grateful for what God's done over the last five years, and really, he gets all the glory for it. And uh, uh, anyway, I just thought I'd say that and thank God for these past five years. Amen? Yeah? Yeah. So we're in a series uh, where we're taking some of the teachings from the book of Ephesians, and we're trying to not only figure out what Paul was saying to the, the, the church there in Ephesus, but we're also looking at it from a perspective of our own life, aren't we? We're like asking uh, ourselves and asking the Lord, what are you trying to teach us through these words that we read in Ephesians about our lives today? And this morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and uh, the first half of chapter 2, which we looked at last week, um, talked a lot about uh, our own salvation, uh, talked a lot about you and how you used to be dead in your sins, but now you can be made alive in Christ because of God's rich grace and mercy, and talks a lot about our personal reconciliation with God. That's the first half of this chapter. The second half what we're looking at today, it actually changes from you to we. The language shifts and there's something about the reconciliation between us as people that becomes this focal point of Paul's writing here. And so we're going to look at that. I'm going to, I'm going to read starting in verse 11, and then we're going to read like 11 verses. That number 11 is not important unless you're watching Stranger Things, and then it's really important. <laughs> Some of you are watching that, I gather. Some of you are like, what? 
Okay, starting in verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Don't forget, remember, remember that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So some people are proud of their kids. Others are proud of their circumcision. <laughs> to each his own. Let's keep reading, shall we? In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among people among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So really quickly, what's going on here, Paul is talking to a group of people called the Gentiles. A lot of you know what that term means. This is anybody that's not a Jew. So if you're a Greek or you're a Roman or you're an American, by the way, most of us are Gentiles, right? We are we are Gentile by descent, so to speak. And he's speaking to Gentiles and he's saying most, of, or he said, all of you, you were living a life apart from God. You were not a part of the citizenship, if you will, of the kingdom of God. And you were living without hope. He's saying this to everyone who wasn't a Jew, which is a lot of people in Ephesus, okay? Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So this is a huge verse. Jesus is our peace. He's the one that ends this hostility between people. I'll talk, we'll talk more about that as we go. Verse 15, he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. Now he's, he's referring to the Old Testament law of people going, you know, going to the temple to make sacrifices. He's ended that. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by, by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on a cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near to him, right? So he mentions Jesus being the peace and bringing us peace. He mentions it four times now. Now, all of us can come to the Father. Who? Who can? All of us. Through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people, you are now members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. In him, the whole building is carefully joined together and rises, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being built together to become a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Okay, this is a lot of stuff in here and it's pretty, really unbelievable. So last week, we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and I mentioned what it was a little bit about, but it was talking on and on about the grace of Jesus 
And then it's interesting that he goes in these second verses from 11 to 22 and he starts talking about the peace of Jesus. And so we have the grace and peace, the grace and peace, the grace and peace. Every letter that Paul begins, right? He begins it with what? Grace and peace to you from our Lord, Father, and Jesus Christ. And he ends most letters with grace and peace. And so he loves the fact that Jesus is grace and peace. And this chapter is one half is about grace, one half is about peace. And we began earlier by singing a song that referenced, to, referenced peace, didn't we? Peace be still. There's a story in Mark 4 where, where I just want to read it. Jesus calms the storm and he uses the word peace. I'm going to read this again and, and, and then we'll talk for a little while. Mark 4, starting in verse 35. Now this is, this is Jesus and his disciples and they're out doing ministry. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. So he's talking about the lake. Now when they had left the multitude, they left a bunch of group of people. They took him along in a boat as he was whatever that means, as you do with Jesus. And other little boats were also with them. They're little bitty ones. (laughs) Little bitty boats are with Jesus. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was filling. So the water's filling the boat, they're sinking. But he was in the stern, I love this detail, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke, they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we we are perishing? Then he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So Jesus in a boat, asleep on a pillow. They're freaking out because of the storm going on. They awake him. He comes out, says, Peace be still. The waves go flat. The winds cease. Great calm comes upon everything, and they're freaked out. This story, though, is an amazing analogy to me for our culture, especially in our culture that we live in, we're talking about a little bit about division here. There's a division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And as we look at our culture and we look around at our world and we think about the fact that there's, there's, there seems like there's always a storm brewing. There's always these waves of cultural tension, whether that be through race or political ideology or even, even the lack of understanding between our socioeconomic classes. There's like this, there's this tension in our culture and, and perhaps it's always been there, but we definitely feel it today. And, and I just feel like people can explode. It's like there's a tragedy that can happen at any moment, right? It's like there's a storm out in our world. Does anybody feel that? There's a storm in our world. And if it were up to me, if it were up to me and I'm sure if you were with me in this, you wish Jesus would stand up, speak into the world, peace be still, and all the chaos and all the tension of racism and political division and all these divisive things that are going on in our, in our culture would just go flat. Don't, wouldn't that be nice for Jesus to stand up and just go, peace, be still, and it's over. We all want that. And so I, I'm sitting here wondering, going, if that, it, does, first of all, does God speak that way now? Does Jesus, could he do that? And, and if so, why, what's, when does it happen? And, and then the other thing I think is, well, maybe if he is speaking, how does he do it? Today, because if you read through this passage and you were going to read this Ephesians passage like five or ten times, because I know you do, before we get into these messages, because you know where we're headed, we're going in order, and you're probably just devouring it every week. If you were going to read it five or ten times and you were asking what's really going on in this passage, if you were trying to ask yourself what's happening, what you would see is one of the things that you would discover is that Paul is showing us that, that, that Jesus is building something and we're in it with them. We're building it with them. 
That's one of the things you would really gather from this, because where is this all headed? Jesus is building something. Jesus is creating something new and we're building it with him. That's why at the end of the passage I read in Ephesians, it says stuff like, together we are his house built on a foundation. Together, Jesus is our cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. Through him, you are being built together. Jesus is building something. Have you ever built something with your own hands? Anybody? And you build something with your own hands and you look back, after you get done, you, you step back and you look at it and go, yeah, I did that. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm not, you, some of you are like, I've never, you don't have to, I'm not talking about building a cool dining table or a backyard deck, although I've done that, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you built a snowman, I don't know. Do you, I almost broke into song, sorry. That frozen just hit me. Um, <clears throat> Maybe you've, and you step back and you're in awe of your insane abilities to build a snowman, right? Or, or whatever it is that you built, you've built it and, 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 you, and you think, wow, I did that. I, I did that. And, and Paul is talking about building something here. And he's talking about something, building something pretty incredible. And later he would call it like a new temple. It's like a new temple is what he's saying. Paul begins, though, let me, let, me, let me kind of put some context on this whole thing, though, because this is actually just... Oh man, it's so good. Paul begins in verses 11 through 13. Yeah, I'll just show you the first verse, verse 11. He says, don't forget. And then he says, remember, right? You remember that you were Gentiles and you used to be outsiders. Now, now this is a really interesting verse because, because he's telling them, I want you to remember something. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that Paul didn't tell us to do anything in the first two chapters. He's just telling the people, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. And I was wrong. He actually says to do something here. He tells us to remember. Remember, which is really, really profound because here's the thing. Without memory of what God has done for how far he's brought us, we can become self-focused and puffed up in our own status and become arrogant and prideful if we don't remember what God has done. Have you ever met anybody arrogant? Now your head if you know, if you know an arrogant person. You, you, wow, I'm, I know a lot. <laughs> you, Chances are, if that arrogant person claims to know God, which those, there are people like that that are arrogant and claim to know God, chances are they have a bad memory. Right? Because if you actually remember how desperate you are for God and you actually remember how far God has brought you, there's no way that you should have any arrogance or pride in you, right? There should be so much humility in us. So remembering, Paul is actually doing something very theologically important by calling us to remember because he's, he's calling us to remember, even, even when we think about this in the context of our sin and, our, and the things that we've done that have really uh, rebelled against God, he wants us to remember them, not in shame and guilt, but in gratitude and understanding how far God has brought us, that we must remember that we were once outsiders without, no, without any hope, disconnected from God. Remember that. Because if you do, it'll call you to your knees. This is what Paul's saying. Look at verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So Paul describes this wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and Jesus broke this wall down. Now this is a powerful picture in this time in history because the relationship between Jews and Gentiles is, is probably... Uh, as elevated in, in, in terms of tension as it gets. 
Jews uh, hated Gentiles. They called them dogs. They were, they were ungodly scum, right? They were heathens, uncircumcised heathens at that. <laughs> there was a whole system. There was a whole system put in place to actually keep Gentiles literally as outsiders. So in the center of Jerusalem, in the center of any town where there was a temple, there was a temple court and there was a wall in which the Gentiles could not go past. Only Jews could go past them. And so Jews would enter into the court. The Gentiles would stay outside. Do you think that created any hostility? Yeah, you're not allowed in. You're an outsider. You're not a part of what God wants to do in this world. So they're claiming, Jews are claiming, we know the God of uh, of the universe. We know the creator God, the one true God. And Gentiles are like, I'm curious to know more. And they're like, well, you can't. <laughs> That's what was going on. So there's a prayer that many religious, religious leaders, they'd even pray, thank you, God, for, for letting me be born a Jew and not a Gentile. And they meant it, like, earnestly. Like, they really were thankful for it. And so prejudice and racism, and, and this time in history, it was rampant. It was real. It was right in their face. And it always amazes me how the same themes of human brokenness that we face today, is this the same theme we face today? Are right here in the Bible, all the time. Racism, oppression, human hostility, not a new subject. It's been around the country, around, around our world forever, but it's certainly we feel it today, don't we? It's right in front of us, if it's in the media headlines or the current state that divides our culture and our country, mostly rooted in what? Race and class and politics and Paul says that I'm building something new but first Jesus Jesus had to take something down he broke down this wall of hostility of hostility so this is there's a deconstruction that had to occur before a reconstruction could occur are you with me I want to show you a picture this is a picture from demo day day one of this building. Some of you are like, that's our building? Yes. And so when you would walk in the front doors, you could see all the way to the back, there were no walls or anything like that. It's not a great picture, but it's all I got, okay? And uh, it was, uh, years ago, this was, when it was originally built, it was an Anthony's department store, if you know what that is. And then it became a lot of other random things, like a furniture store. I think at one time it was like a used mattress store or something, and that's kind of weird. Who wants a used mattress? <laughs> Actually, I don't think it was a used mattress store. I just like to make that part of the story. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, there's this, there's this uh, process that we had to begin, right? But th because when we came in, the electric was old, it wasn't working, the, the ceiling was completely uh, water damaged, the, the, there was pl old plaster all over the walls. There, nothing in this building was, was, was really usable. This building was in an unusable condition. And we, of course, had to come in and, and demo. We had to deconstruct a whole bunch of things in order to then be able to reconstruct. We didn't demo everything. There were some parts of the old that were really, that were preserved, right? Because the old matters. We got to remember the old, right? And there was a lot about the old that was really good, and, but we restored it. And once we were able to deconstruct and get all the old rotted, all the old unusable things out, and we deconstruct those things, we were able to reconstruct, if you will, something new, right? So there's this thing that I think Jesus is doing and reminding us of, and Jesus sees creation and what's been broken, and he wants to restore it. Jesus himself is a picture of deconstructing and reconstructing, isn't he? Jesus was destroyed on the cross, like he was, he was crucified, dead. He, was, he, was, he, he died, and then what did, you, what did God do? He, he raised him back to life, and there was a, if you will, a resurrection and a re 
construction after his deconstruction, or a reconstruction of a new reality. And this is this is this is this part of what's going on. And here's the thing about deconstructing and reconstructing. Deconstructing has no value if there's no reconstruction there. And I say that, maybe there's examples you can give me, but what I mean by that is when people are, have you ever been to a person that likes to deconstruct? They like to poke holes in everything. They like to tell you everything that's wrong about everything. They tell you your plan is not going to work. They tell you that that person over there, they got dumb ideas too, and that, I don't know why they're doing that. They're always deconstructing. Do you, have you ever been around this person? In the church, there's a lot of deconstruction. People are always deconstructing the church, poking holes in it, talking about all the dumb things they do, all the things, all the failures, all the shortcomings. And there's a lot of deconstruction that occurs, not only by people inside the church, but outside the church. And, and there's certainly a, a measure of deconstruction that needs to occur, but there needs to be some of us, a group of us, that have the vision to see what needs to be reconstructed and restored. Are you with me? So, I'm going to, I, I want to I show you something. We're talking about restoration a little bit here, reconciliation. This is all what's kind of happening in this passage. I want to zoom out, if you will, because you know that's what I do. And I'm going to give you a big picture kind of, of God's story. Because when we talk about restoration, I can't not talk about this. The story of God is often re- described by many as a four-part narrative. Creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. Like I said, we're talking about restoration, but let's think about this story for a moment. God created the world. And when he created it, what was, what was present? What was, what was perfect? What were we, we were experiencing perfect peace and harmony. What the Jews called shalom. We were experiencing a perfect peace. And then the fall happened, which when sin entered the world, we call it the fall of humanity, something happened. You can go to the next slide. Broken peace happened. Peace was broken between a few different things. God and humanity itself, right? Because now peace is no longer established. God, is, uh, God has had to separate himself from us because of our sin and our lack of holiness. And we are now lost in our sin and we are desperate for some sort of solution to life. But our sin keeps perpetuating this brokenness between us and God. And then it also broke the relationship between man and woman, right? Right at the beginning, Adam and Eve are in dis, disrepair now, We're in dis, and, they're, and they're disagreeing, and they're lying about one another. And so all of a sudden, man and woman's relationship is broken. And over the centuries, what has happened between man and woman? Well, power and strength and domination has, of course, entered in into a large way where man has dominated women through physical power and strength, breaking the relationship between man and woman, not to mention other things that have broken that relationship. And then humanity and creation. That was broken too, right? Right off the bat, what happens to cover up their sin? God has to, God has to kill creation to cover up their sin, to cover up their nakedness, right? And, God and, and humanity and creation's relationship is broken. Peace is no longer established among creation and humanity, and now there's a brokenness. To this day, what are we always talking about in the news? How is humanity messing up creation? All the different issues, if we're going to save our earth, and, and a lot of them are real. Because humanity is not taking care of creation. And then, and then humanity in itself. You don't have to get very far in the creation story, or in the story right after the fall, what happens? You get to Cain and, and Abel, right? And there's a murder. First one. And then every since then, wars and racism and injustice and oppression has occurred. And humanity is divided against itself. 
Do you, see, do you see what's going on here? And so there needed to be a redemptive solution, didn't there? There needed to be some way to fix this, to reestablish peace. And so what happens is for centuries, God creates this system of laws and rules through the temple and through sacrifice, but it's not really working. And so he, in his rich grace and mercy, he decides, I have to do this. And he sends Jesus. And Jesus becomes the redemptive solution to the broken peace. And when once redemption happens, it, there's, a, there's another word that we often use for this. We talk about Jesus purchasing, purchasing our life with his blood, right? We'll say, we'll, you'll see that read a lot or said a lot, that he purchased his redemption, was, it was purchased by his blood. And so if we think about, go back to our building for a second, when we purchased this building, it was guaranteed that there was gonna be a redemptive purpose to this building. Is no longer going to be a storage container anymore. It was going to become a place brimming with life. That was a guarantee upon the purchase. But then what happened after the purchase? A season and a process of restoration. And so once Jesus purchases us, we aren't finished. We are all in process of being restored. And what are we being restored to? Peace between God and humanity. Peace between man and woman, peace between humanity and creation, and peace between humanity and itself. This is what's going on. And so there's a restoration occurring, and this is where we are in the story if we follow Jesus. We are in process of being restored. We are not made whole yet. We are not restored fully yet, but we are joining in the building of a restored humanity. So when Jesus, or when Paul writes that Jesus is building something, what is he building? He is building a new humanity. He is building an understanding of not just the humanity, but one that is completely reconciled to all these things. This is what the church is. This is what Jesus pictures the church being. This is the entrance of Paul's writing about the church itself, which is about to go bananas in this book. He's going to be talking about the church. It's a real most churchy book in the Bible. And so what's happening is we are seeing a huge understanding of what Jesus came for and what we are now called to. Okay. We can sigh, breathe. That's a lot in a little amount of time. So political, racial, class divides that we face today are obviously a real thing. That's not what this message is about. It's, it's, it's of course, tied to it because we can't, we can't not think about those things whenever it's all around us all the time. But I just want to say this. If we're waiting for Jesus to show up in the flesh, so to speak, and say, peace, be still. If we're waiting for Jesus to come and say, peace, be still. We're not reading the Bible. If we are the one of those people that says, oh, Jesus will come back someday and he's going to fix all this? For one of those that say, oh, yeah, creation, that's a problem, but Jesus is coming back anyway. That's said by a lot, right? Uh, you know, the earth, yeah, I, yeah, Jesus come back anyway. We, we, this, there's almost no hope until Jesus comes back. If we say that, well, we're like, we're forgetting the purpose of what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has called us to build something with him, to restore something, Certainly, there's a truth in the fact that when Jesus comes back, that will be the completion of his restoration, but that does not mean until then. 
There's not stuff and work that must be done. I believe God's word is teaching us that Jesus has sent us to be the peacemakers, to build this new humanity. I want to show you this next slide. God is calling us to be the ones to speak peace be still into the chaos of this world. We must awaken and rise together, becoming the people of God. He's calling us to be the ones to actually say, peace be still. It's interesting that Jesus was asleep on that boat, remember, head on a pillow? And he had to be awakened in the storm. And I think some of us, even though I, I think there's a lot of reasons to believe Jesus was asleep because he was already at peace, but, but I think some of us, this picture of being asleep during the storm is, is very real. And we need to be awakened. We need to be awakened to the brokenness of this world with eyes to see that we are the ones called to restore it, to make it new, to make it better, to join God in the work of building this new humanity, which he's called his church. We call it a new temple, a new house. Paul is calling us to this. Verse 20 it says this, it says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So what are we doing? How are we building this thing? Well, first of all, there was a foundation built by the Old Testament prophets who were pointing to the Messiah that was coming, and then the apostles themselves pointing to, the, to Jesus and saying, that's Jesus right there, and they're the ones that saw him, they were the eyewitnesses, and there, there was a foundation built that this, this is all real. There was a centuries of prophecy, proclaiming this to come to be true, and it came true, and there were eyewitnesses saying, that's it. So there's a foundation built. But then the first step in building this thing, if, you've ever, if you know anything about um, you know, uh, you know, ancient construction, which I'm sure most of you don't, um, there's a cornerstone, right, that's set. And maybe this is modern too. I don't know about modern. Um, there's a cornerstone that's set, and that cornerstone is the very first piece of a house or anything else that you can build. You set, you set it in the perfect place, and then everything that you're building is built in relationship to that place of the cornerstone. You understand? Like you measure off of that, everything goes up from there. Everything starts with there. It's the beginning point. And so in so many ways, Paul is saying something brilliant with just by saying the word cornerstone, that everything, everything begins with Jesus. Everything's measured off of Jesus. Everything that we're building is because of Jesus and he is the cornerstone. And so when I think about this, I'm going, okay, well, first of all, is Jesus the cornerstone of my life? Like, if, if, is everything pivoting off of Jesus? Because so many people today, by the way, they claim Jesus, yet really their starting point is their political ideology. Really their starting point is their, is their whatever American version of, 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 of a worldview is. And so they have a worldview that shapes the decisions they make and they see things. And here's the thing, everything that's rooted in politics or American or, 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 or cultural sort of ideologies they have something at its core that's very, very true, and it's called self-preservation. It's called, it's called self-focus, uh, that either I'm gonna go and I wanna be successful, or I wanna go and I wanna, I wanna, I wanna achieve more, or I wanna gain more, or accumulate more, or if it's pol politics, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna become more powerful, right? And so everything pivots off of that, because that's the cornerstone. And so many people, even as believers, they have a cornerstone that is not Jesus. They have a cornerstone that's their American way of life. And everything pivots off of that. Because if we were pivoting off and we were being built off of Jesus as our cornerstone, guess what would be at the core of who we are? 
love, humility, and sacrifice. You see, the other ideologies don't, that's not the core. The core is self-preservation. And so anytime self is threatened, it looks to fight back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anytime there's something that's going to threaten our safety or our, or, or, or pleasure or whatever, it, it, learn, it, it figures out ways to subtly fight, it, fight back at those powers. But whenever Jesus is the cornerstone, whenever Jesus is what we're building off, it's love, humility, and sacrifice. Jesus paid a high price, right, to construct what we're building. He gave his very life. And see, when people that are looking for a fight, people that are looking for division, whenever they come looking for a fight and they encounter love and humility and sacrifice, guess what? They can't find a fight. And therefore, we start to see peace restored. Peace, actually a new humanity being born. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is the gospel. And we get it and, and I'm saying things that everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, where in your life where in your life, there's so many things to pull from this. Where in your life is Jesus not set as the right cornerstone in what you're building? Two, where in your life is peace not present? Meaning, are there, are there relationships in your life and are there people in your life that hostility exists? You see, what's so great about what Jesus did is that when Je it says it says in verses 16 and 18, I won't even going to read it, but he basically says, he says, that now we all have access to the Father. Who's he speaking to? To the, to the Gentiles, right? Because why? There was a wall of hostility. There was a wall, a literal wall in these built environments, in these cities, in which they could not go into the temple and worship. And Jesus said, taking that wall down, you all have access to the Father now. And so, when I think about, what do I do with all this? I start thinking about, well, are there people in my life that I'm not at peace with? Because that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to build a better humanity, one in which peace exists, even in that person that they're the ones that broke the peace. Love, humility, and sacrifice. Love, humility, and sacrifice. Where do you need to show love, humility, and sacrifice to reestablish and restore peace? Where do you need to restore peace in, the, in your world, in the people around you, in your workplace, in your home, with friends, with family? Where's peace need to be restored? This is the message of the gospel, that we are restoring a new humanity. We are restoring what has been broken. Many of us want to be proactive in our efforts to bring reconciliation between racial and political. Like today's world, there's a lot of us that are like, we're amped up, like, I wanna be someone that brings reconciliation. Love, humility, and sacrifice. So Paul, over and over again, I'm about done. We're gonna sing about this cornerstone that Jesus is. But Paul, over again in this letter in Ephesians, he's reminding them of who they are. If, if, if you rewind just a few weeks, he talks about all the blessings. Then he says, you know what? I'm so thankful for you. I'm continually praying for you. And then, oh, by the way, you know, you couldn't do any of this without Jesus. I mean, he did all the work for you. You were dead in your sin, but now you've been, you've been right in Christ through his rich grace and mercy. And then he goes on and he talks about this peace, right? That we're gonna build a new and better way, a new humanity representing a new temple, representing the church. And he's saying together, 
people from every race, nation, ideology, political backgrounding, upbringing, no matter what they do, they have a place with Christ in this community. He is our cornerstone. This is what we're building. And he's saying, Paul's reminding us, like, you get to do this. And we should be like, really? <laughs> really? God, you're letting me be a part of building this thing, this new humanity, establishing and reestablishing the peace of God in this world. You're letting me be a part of that. And he's like, yes, yes, really, I am letting you be part of it. I want you to be a part of it. You're part of my family. Come on, let's do this. Are you with me? Come on, let's do this. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Christ has done. And we're just sitting here going, hold on, hold on. We have to reconcile this in our own mind. Like, God, you're really calling me to this. You've allowed me to be a part of this. And I don't think we get it. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't. And I don't mean that in a, in a mean way, in a rude way. I'm just saying, God, if we got this, we wouldn't be able to talk about anything else other than the peace of God and the reign of God and the glory of God. This is what our life would be about because that's what it means to make Jesus the cornerstone. Everything is built off of that. What are you building with your life? Joining the story of God, being his church, proclaiming his good news is what so many of us must be desperate to become. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop on this because I can keep talking, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. So many of us, go back to the four-point narrative I was talking about, so many of us stop at redemption. You know what I mean? We, we get redeemed. We've been purchased. And we're like, ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. Been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And we're just like thankful for that. And we never, we never understand what we've been called to build. And it's almost like so many of us need to realize we need to wake up we need to rise together and then we need to go and restore the peace of God in this world. That we are now in process of restoration. That's what we've been called to. And that's what we get to be a part of. That's good news. Are you with me? So today, my, my brothers and sisters, may we all declare Jesus as our cornerstone. And may we identify the people and places in our life where peace is absent. And may we do the good work of restoring peace in those people and in those places to become a more peaceful humanity. Amen? Father, we pray that as we take time to respond today, that Lord, you would speak to us about maybe people in our lives that we need to reestablish peace with. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and how it shapes us and transforms us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? This altar's open. Our prayer team is here. If you'd like to pray, maybe you have something that you really need to pray about when it comes to reestablishing peace. And we all together can proclaim as we sing, though, that we're going to make Jesus our cornerstone.